You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Here we are with another edition of Beyond Sets and Reps. We're providing the performance edge. Today, I am very excited to bring someone to you that I've known for many years. To be exact, back in 2003, it's now 2019, uh, this young man was one of the brightest people I've ever met, one of the most hardworking I've ever met, and... um, I can't wait for uh, to introduce him and uh, just so he can kind of tell you his story. Maybe we'll get to hear something we haven't heard before. That would be exciting. Uh, today, we bring to you Dr. Brian Mann, currently assistant professor at the University of Miami in the Department of Kinesiology and Sports Science. Um, you may be well aware of his accolades and background and his writings and research in velocity-based training. We're going to talk about how he started as an intern um, from Missouri State to the University of Tulsa as an intern to a graduate assistant to assistant and many director titles that he held after that. So without further ado, Welcome, Dr. Brian Mann. Well, thanks, Pat, and good to, uh, well, I guess not see you again, but talk with you again. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Good, good. And also, we need to introduce our co-host, Mackenzie. Yes, welcome, B. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mac. Mackenzie? You should introduce Mackenzie. I got to say it right. <laughs> it's all right. Whichever one works. All right. Yeah, so, um, you mind if I call you Brian or B since I've known yeah, you? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Does, I'm good. Okay. So, uh, people out there, when I say B, that's Brian Mann. So, B, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, pro white boy from Backwoods, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, uh, went to, uh, you know, grew up, you know, poor and uh, happened to work my way through things. And then whenever I was uh, 14, went to a strength and conditioning camp with Rob Rogers, Kirk Wolfolk, um, gosh, Russ Ball, and uh, there was one other person that was there, and I was like, man, I'm getting, you know, I I enjoy what I'm doing here. This is pretty cool. This is a job. I'm going to go try and do that, Uh, you know, and and the rest is history. I went through uh, the sport of powerlifting was my, uh, my athletic background, if you could even call it that. I, I played football and stuff. I was a mediocre football player, but I was really great at the non-athletic stuff like powerlifting. And, uh, you know, I uh, met Rick Perry by being in the right place at the right time. And uh, so that's how I got started at it was Southwest Missouri whenever I was there. Uh, you know, I was there back in what I call the golden ages whenever Jackie Stiles was the player of the year every year for uh, women's basketball and led 
all divisions and all genders and scoring. And uh, Ryan Howard was, uh, you know, cranking bombs. Who the the guy that went on to the Phillies and retired a couple years back, um, and then went from there to Arizona State under Joe Ken, Tulsa under you, back to Missouri, uh, well Southwest Missouri, and then whenever he got it to Missouri, I got the call and, and you know worked there for a while, uh, long time, 2004 to 2018. As uh, you know, as you mentioned, a graduate assistant, assistant director. Then I was uh, director of the Human Performance Center. Uh, now I'm here at the University of, of Miami. Um, yeah, I've been named an NSCA fellow. I guess with the NSCA, I've done a lot. I uh, did the. I was the. I can't remember what they call us. Um, subject matter expert for the lifts course and some other stuff. Been the state director. Uh, I was the chair of the uh, college strength and conditioning coaches SIG to really get it up to the next level. Uh, rotated off of that, then went on to the conference committee, and uh, their conference committee chair just rotated off, and uh, so now I'm that chair. Uh, so I'm, uh, you know, trying to do a little bit of everything uh, and, and get it done all over the place on both the academic side uh still doing a lot of stuff with athletics matter of fact yesterday i was just collecting data with uh baseball and counter movement jump we've been doing that uh quite a bit and just trying to watch the trends and see what happens and see what we see uh you know trying to get the more the answers uh, for the right questions so we're going in and we're just kind of trying and, and tracking and and seeing, hey, what happens as a result of this training program? Let, let's let's know rather than guess. Uh, doing some stuff with volleyball here, uh, the track and field, uh, uh, men's and women's basketball. I've mentioned stuff for postseason and during the summer. Um, there's a couple other sports right now. I've got diving, uh, and uh, golly, what is the other one? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody will be upset because I, I forgot. But they've got to also remember, i got a 10-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. Neither one of them wanted to sleep last night. So, uh. <laughs> Good. You know, the one thing I know about you, Brian, is you've never been afraid of work. You're, you're one of the hardest-working people I know. You're always constantly working on what's next. Uh, and, you know, the first phone call I ever got from you was uh, back in 2003. I didn't know you from anyone, and you were doing an internship with Joe Ken out in Arkansas, uh, uh, Arizona State, and uh, you you had um, you want you had a situation with your family that you wanted to move back closer to Oklahoma, and Tulsa was the perfect spot. It was right in the middle of where you wanted to be, and I remember uh, when you came to visit. I guess you can call it an interview. It was a big squat day, and uh, we were talking. And all of a sudden, you 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 started ignoring me, and you went off because you didn't like the way someone's squat technique was, and uh, you immediately started coaching them on your interview. And I remember thinking, "Wow, this is the kind of person I want to be around. This is that that uh, tenacity and that ability to just be a leader and jump in and take control of a situation." You know, um, you know that moment. How how would that moment from then on kind of, um, I guess. You know, how is that an example of what you've done in your career? Man, just whenever something needs to be done, do it. Um, yeah, you, if you see something's going wrong, you got to step up. You know, they, uh, I, 
I kind of, you don't go from, uh, from being, you know, living in a, a trailer with an outhouse to being a PhD without, you know, having some sort of goal. And I've always known that, you know, my goal is to go out there and you know, never have to worry about being hungry again. And if, you know, one of the things that my granddad taught me uh, after we, we moved away from that initial situation was, you know what, if somebody thinks enough of you to get give you uh, give you a job, then you give them everything that you can give them. And in uh, that day, man, I after I did it, I was like, damn, I hope I didn't just cost myself this internship because uh, I can't get anywhere else right now. I've tried. This is the only guy that would return a phone call from Rick or myself. Uh, but, you know, it was just the way that I've always worked is that I know that, yeah, I had some time whenever we went for three weeks on uh, a half a pack of hot dogs and a continental breakfast size thing of uh, frosted flakes. And I know what hunger is like. And I, I promised myself that I would never be hungry again. And the one way that I can control that is to work and make myself valuable. Uh, I, I always joked around with people, you know, they're like, why are you still working this way and, and working so hard? You, you know, you, you're set, you did all this other stuff. People know you all around the place. You can just kick back and put your feet up. Why are you still doing this? And I said, well, cause if I ever need a job, I want to be able to make a social media post and in three days have one. And, uh, I was after the whole Missouri, uh, incident where they, you know, cut, I think they've cut something like 305 positions from there and they, the cuts are still, still going on. Um, but I made the post finally, I debated about doing it for a long time, but I made the post and I was wrong. It wasn't three days. It was, it was 10 and I uh, had a job at the university of Miami. So, you know, I guess you could say failing forward a little bit there because it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely, uh, it's a whole different world down here. Uh, in some respects, a whole different level in some areas and, and, and others not. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's been it. Like, I, I don't want to go hungry. And obviously, from the people who've seen me know that I haven't missed too many meals. So uh, I, I work that way. It's kind of like the, the the best way that I can explain it. It's, uh, yeah, you've seen Cinderella Man, haven't you? Yes. So there's a, a line in there that stuck with me because it, it, it very much uh, follows the way that I, I think. And it was after... The depression hit and he had his downfall, lost everything, and his kids were hungry. And somebody said, hey, you know, Jim, why are you fighting this way? You haven't fought this way in a long time. And he looks at the reporter and thinks for a second. He says, milk. And that's why I work that way. I don't want my kids to ever have to go through that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kill myself working. Uh, if that's what it takes to keep them from going hungry and have to experience something like that. Well, and B, I think you've also done a great job, at least in my eyes, you've always been kind of the encyclopedia of the history of strength coaches, the performance industry, and not only the history of it, but now you're adding to it with the research that you're doing. Can you, I know you, in your intro a little bit, you told us a little bit about the research that you're doing right now, but um, as Pat mentioned, you're highly known for your velocity-based training. Can you give us a little bit of the history of kind of how you got into that and how it's progressed and where you see that going actually in the future? So it started because Rick had uh, uh, these books, these translated Soviet manuals. And he's like, hey, I want you to read these and know these. You know, my boss thought this was really important. So I want you to, to, to read these too. 
and hopefully you can get something out of it. And I kept reading all these M slash S or MS to the, uh, what is that, superscript negative one. And I thought, what the heck is this? And then uh, it, it, we happened to go out to Westside Barbell and then visit Buddy Morris. And uh, Buddy just gotten the thing called the Tendo in there, and it read everything in M slash S. So I happened to just take the stuff that I ran from the Verkoshanskis, from the Romans, from the Medvedevs, and the, the M slash S's that I trapped in the back of my mind because uh, I don't remember what that test was that Pat had us do, but it said I was a, a collector and a couple other things. And whenever it said, what should you be with this psychological profile, it said a, uh, a researcher or nerd. And uh, <laughs> But so I collected that information, just held on to it, and whenever we got it, I took the stuff that had already been out there and already been done and I started applying it and we tested everybody that we could on the uh, SMS football team, basketball team. Uh, no, it wasn't basketball, football, baseball, soccer, softball, field hockey. And we saw that all of the one RMs and all the percentages fell within, you know, like 0.05 either way was a standard deviation, right? So, you know, it was like uh, 60% was, 0.8 and some people were 0.85 some people were 0.75 for me it was it was good enough for government work and then pat might not know that i was doing this but whenever we were finally got the tendos at mizzou and we were going heavy i would just write down the percentage of one rm and the speed and it happened to fall right into line with the stuff that we had at sms um and it, you know to me it was just like hey i don't need any further information i'm good to go and we, you know, started going from there. And my thought process has always been, uh, go ahead and let's find the best way. But, you know, it, it, let me let me stop and rephrase this. So in the, in the past few weeks, there's been some stuff on social media that uh, it, it's frustrating. But I get what the people are doing, but they don't understand how things are done. So everybody is wanting to come up with this bright new idea who's never done anything and they've never read anything. And, you know, they always say that uh, those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, There's been a lot of smart people out there and a lot of smart stuff that has already been done. So, you know, let's build upon that rather than continue going in these circles. And these people with that, uh, they're wanting to have this creative thought. So to have this creative thought, they think, oh, well, I shouldn't be learning what's already been done. I need to go blaze the new trail. You know, John Nash, beautiful mind. He blew off class. It's like, dude, one, you're not John Nash. And two, John Nash had a bachelor's and master's degree and started a PhD before he started blowing everything off for creative thought. You know, to be able to understand, you know, people keep talking about thinking outside the box. But if you're going to think outside of the box, you better know damn well what's inside that box. You know, it, it, there's stuff that's in there for a reason. You know, there's laws of physiology. There's laws of physics. And if you don't understand those laws, this magic stuff, this snake oil that some people are trying to sprinkle out there, it's going to work its way through. And uh, because some people are really good salesmen. And uh, shoot, I remember earlier on in my career, I didn't have that great of a de- uh, of a detector. And uh, I would get, you know, caught in by some things, too, from time to time. But the better education I got, the more that I understood, hey, this is how it works. And you're telling me it works this other way? I don't buy it. It's like you're never going to spontaneously regrow a ligament. You're not going to be able to zap and 
and restore somebody completely in their autonomic nervous system if they're not sleeping. You know, there's just all these different things that people try and sell that, uh, you know, they just a little bit of education uh, would would help out. And I'm not saying people have to go get a degree in exercise science, but I am saying that people need to need to read and understand what that box is before they go and try and recreate everything else. And Mac, I forgot the question, man. I got a <laughs> rant. No, that's okay. I mean, now that you said it, um, how many, if you just had to guess, because you brought up, you know, people need to read and, and really get up on whatever topic that it is they're, they're trying to do. How many books would you say that you read on velocity-based training before you really considered yourself knowledgeable on it? Well, I don't still don't consider myself knowledgeable on it. There's so much that we don't know. And, and I think you wrote the book on it. <laughs> I wrote a book on it because there wasn't anything that was out there uh, at the time. And the book just came because I was spending so much time answering other people's questions. So how many books did I read before that? Well, there was uh, just on VBT alone, there was probably four uh, and it was the translated Soviet stuff. And it wasn't that the books were on velocity-based training. It's just that velocity was there. Uh, it was it was there in there. It was a component. And it was just how can we – and whenever you get down to it, the VBT, I think a lot of people you know, kind of have it as a, a misnomer, a misunderstanding. You know, it, What it does is it enhances rate coding, and it's one aspect of, of training. It's not – everything about it and uh you know i might have uh misplayed that out of you you know especially earlier on in my career probably more like 10 years ago because i didn't know any better you know i didn't have that uh perspective and uh to realize that hey it's only one small part of things you know so i read four books and worked on it for let's see the first version came out in 2008 so I had worked on it for like six years, you know, probably closer to 10 if you include the reading, but six years of practicing before I put the book out. And, you know, the uh, well, I'll be doing a DVD, uh, hopefully in May or June, I'll host a VBT clinic here or somewhere else that, uh, and I'm going to do that instead of writing the next edition of the book, because what I've noticed is I must suck as an author because every, you know, a lot of the things that I've said and, and written are, are completely misinterpreted. Uh, and uh, so I just want to try and I think that let's go through a different medium uh, and let's see if maybe the vocal inflections, uh, the, it also simply, if I'm pl talking to people and have it recorded that way, then maybe I'll understand by the looks on their faces uh, what's making sense. And maybe, maybe something's misinterpreted because it's poorly written. Uh, let's face it. it with written communication, it's very, very difficult uh, to, to, to portray a point. That's why emojis have become so popular with text messaging, because you can show what you're trying to say uh, and, and illustrate the feeling rather than having the conversation and the body language. And we, we know that so much of our, our uh, communication is through body language that can't be portrayed through mm -hmm. written means. So I want to go ahead and it, it, try it from this angle rather than from uh, another written. It's like, you know, the, uh, what was it? Einstein said, uh, idiocy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I'm going to try something different rather than uh, doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. This podcast is sponsored by Soranex Exercise Equipment. 
Since 1980, Sornex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sornex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sornex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. You know, Brian, you talk about doing something different. And the first exposure that I had to velocity-based training, I was working out with Josh Stone, and we were in Tulsa, and we were doing some uh, box squats, uh, sets of twos, I don't know, maybe 10 sets. And somewhere around set number eight, I tapped out. That was not what I was used to. That is, uh, I wasn't trained for that. And eventually, as a staff, uh, when we transitioned to Missouri, we had Keith Caden, Antoine Floyd, and uh, Josh Stoner, and others that would come in and we that were on staff, and we would train as a staff together. And so when we talked about using Tendos, which we were doing back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005, um, we learned a lot just by doing. And so th- there's a lot about velocity-based training that we learned from doing, like if someone was taller, someone was a little bit shorter, and uh, the frustrations that would come with uh, someone who maybe had longer limbs and the speeds that were generated. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, you know, I, it's, it's important to not just read, but, you know, we, we, we weren't just doing the science and the research. We were about the practical as well. And uh, doing it as a staff, that was important. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's why we ended up doing the zone. So it was simple to be able to keep the entire staff on the same page. Shoot, you got 100 kids on the floor and 10 people trying to work with them. If everybody isn't on the same page, it doesn't matter how perfect it is on paper. It wasn't going to work out. So, you know, some people are like, oh, the zones are imprecise. Yeah, but they're they're practical. You can implement them. Um, for, for those people that, that aren't as familiar with it, can you just kind of give a brief overview of what you mean when you say the zones? Yeah, so for squat, bench, and deadlift, you know, obviously there's a lot of exercises that, that won't fit into this. And why was it squat, bench, and deadlift? Well, that's what we competed in, and that's what we trained ourselves. And we had the cleans and the Olympic lifts had their own sets of velocities. But uh, the squat, bench, and deadlift, we had uh, 0.3 and low, uh, 0.5 and lower was absolute strength, and that's you know, around 80% on up, 80, 85%. Then we had, uh, let's see, accelerative strength was 0.5 to 0.75. So you're looking at that 60 to 80%. Then you're looking at uh, strength speed and speed strength. And these two things come together to make that peak power, right? So peak power typically occurs somewhere between 30 and 60% of 1RM. And if you look back to the old strength continuum, there was this non-quantifiable zone that existed between 30 and 60% of 1RM because it was really hard to tell, right, what what it was. And then there was some work that came out from, uh, uh, let's see, I think it was Jindaka. And then there was that one study that came out from, I believe the, the author's name was Miller, and it was written in French. And, Mac, I had to have your uh, swimmer translate it for me. 
and they were talking <laughs> yeah. about strength, speed, and speed strength. And they, but they one study, Roman was strength, speed, and speed strength. Uh, Jindaka called it low velocity and velocity load. And then there was another term that was used for it that they didn't really have the English words, but it was pretty close to that. Um, if I remember correctly, or I just couldn't understand your swimmer, that, that it could have been either one. Um, it can be. Yeah. Shoot, you know, my accent and bad hearing, you know, you combine that with the accent from them, and it was it was just all, all over the place. But, uh, you know, basically they all found the same thing, that, yeah, you know, we've got these set points that line up, and they back up to enhance peak power. And in my opinion, it was more effective to hit it from two sides rather than one point, because – if you hit it at just one point, that's only one area to train. It, it, think about like from the sports psychology aspect of it. You know, the, it's the inverted U theory. There was, and uh, your optimal performance happens in a zone. It doesn't just happen at one point, right? So you uh, you've got to have a certain level of upness, but you got a range through which you can do things appropriately. And that's what. Uh, and then uh, that. So that strength speed. Sorry, was 0.75 to 1.0. Speed strength was 1.0 to 1.25. And then we called it starting strength. That was uh, above that. And honestly, to hit the speed strengths and the uh, starting strengths with anybody, any athletes on squats and deads, we, it required a lot of band tension, a lot of high level training. That we spent most of our time in strength speed, and I still do. You know, you you go from the slowest speeds to the faster speeds, and that falls just in line uh, with the uh, the um, yeah, stu- the the re- re- recommendations from Bampa that you you get strong and then you get faster later. Well, it, it's the same sort of thing. So the only thing that VBT does is it allows you to utilize the appropriate load for the day. You know, because your percentage of 1RM is going to be off. I mean, we've all had days whenever you, you sit under the bar, first set, it's 135, because that's the international one, you know, first set is uh, 60 kilos. You know, that's everybody's first warm-up set. It doesn't matter if your max is 500 kilos or, uh, you know, 80 kilos. Everybody always starts out at that 60 kilos or 135 pounds. Uh We've everybody's had those days whenever it's like, man, does somebody slip another plate on top of this? And then other days when you're looking, it's like, man, is that a quarter that I threw on there on accident or a 10K plate? So the velocity just allows you to utilize that right load for that day. You know, that's it. And then you get the feedback from the velocity that causes a greater intent. And, you know, whenever you, you start talking about that. Uh, you really could get into that DC and Ryan self-determination theory because they've got the autonomy of the load selection. And if you've coached them up to understand why the, uh, the exercise is important, they're going to see the relatedness, which is that transfer. So uh, when the end that, gosh, there's one more prong on that, Pat, you, you know, that stuff better than I do on the, uh, for the self-determination theory, but you know, really the velocity allows that to, to happen. So the, you know, it's no wonder why it's a, effective because you're allowing your athletes to start engaging that intrinsic motivation with self-determination theory to to train harder. And anytime you can train harder, you're going to see greater adaptations. And we've seen it time and time again in the research. And hopefully I should have something come out here pretty pretty soon off of some stuff that we're starting to do here with uh, just the feedback and velocity on a couple of exercises with one of the teams. Brian, um, one of the questions that coaches asking me is, uh, is it too early 
to start velocity-based training, and they ask about what if we don't have the money for the uh, the linear transducers and what do you say just just quickly as we uh, look to wrap this up? Yeah, so they you know, they need to get strong first, right? So if somebody's weak, they're not going to move an appreciable load, and uh, honestly, they're just not ready for it. Bonderchuk said, if you try and do the wrong method at the wrong time, you lose it twice. You don't get the huge adaptation the first time, and then you're not going to see it later whenever you you're ready for it. Uh, if somebody's already strong and they're already mobile and their uh, improvements in their their uh, sprints and, and um, powers is no longer going up. Then if you don't have the money for it, do get a stopwatch. Everybody's got a stopwatch, right? So let's go with, you know, three reps in three seconds on a press. Let's go two reps in three seconds on a squat. Uh, does that mean that they go down fast and up fast and, you know, you might get a little loosey-goosey? Yeah, you know what? Maybe. But you're a coach, right? So you coach technique and you don't let them move up until they, they get that right. And if they're not able to get the repetitions into the seconds – that's probably meaning that that's too heavy for them. So, you know, you could start there. That That's where we started out at, at Southwest Missouri. You know, it was squats and benches and uh, eyeballing on the cleans. It's just that whenever you – know, and honestly, the, the stopwatch was that gateway drug for the athletes because they started getting excited. It's like, what was your time? What was your time? What was your time? Man, it's just like running the 40, right? You know, they get that feedback of what their time was and everybody wants to hear it and everybody wants to run faster and beat it. And that's the the main thing behind the VBT. You know, it, it, it's that uh, it's that intent. So if you don't have the money for it, and let's let's look. There's some cheaper options out there too. There's some accelerometers. Uh, accelerometers. Jim Aware's got a new one. I, golly, what is the name of it? They have got one that sticks on the end of the bar that should be out next month, unless something got delayed. Uh, but you go to their website, and I'm sure that you can find it, that kineticathlete.com.au uh, or something like that. Uh, if I'll look up the, uh, the information so that it can get posted into the show notes. Uh, then there's some cheap LPTs, but remember, you get what you pay for, and it's more on the durability side and then the interface side rather than the accuracy. Uh, with, um, yeah, there was that uh, open barbell. There's... Uh, Gosh, I think it's called Rep One. The issues that we usually get into with any of those LPTs that are cheap, as long as they've got a high enough sampling rate, you're good. But it's that x-axis correction because you remember, Pat, we used to have to spend all the time moving the tendo up and back so it had a straight line. Otherwise, the number was off because if you're, that line isn't straight vertical, you're not measuring the y-axis anymore. You're, you know, for you know, let's say A is the vertical, B is the horizontal, and C is the hypotenuse. Right, like thinking about a right triangle, we're measuring the hypotenuse whenever it's at an angle. We're not measuring the vertical like we think we are. Uh, so then that that gets into issues. But you know, there's there's cheap things out there. There's some accelerometers now. If they get into accelerometers uh, outside of the Jim Aware one for sure, uh, you might have to start recreating your own zones the way that we did, and uh, that's just collecting the. Uh, velocities at the percentage of 1RM, aggregating them, and then spitting it out there as a whole. And uh, it's not that it's wrong or bad. It's just that it's different. You know, it, it's, you know, like uh, with woodworking, you always try and measure and cut with the same tape measure because every tape measure is a little different. Same sort of thing with that. And ladies and gentlemen, you can see uh, why uh, Brian is one of the most interesting people. He is so knowledgeable, probably too modest. I would say, 
Um, it's been a pleasure having you on. And I do want to follow up with you because you dropped a little bit of sports psychology in there when you talked about DC and Ryan's self-determination theory. You talked about relatedness. You talked about autonomy. And the third one, B, is competence. And when you are able... When, when you're able to help your athletes, when you're able to educate your athletes on what they're doing and what, what the purpose of explosiveness is and fast twitch, yeah, that's when you have athletes, coaches like to say, I want someone that'll run through a brick wall for me or, you know, you get those athletes that are self-starters when, when you do combine those three. But, you know, it wasn't, you didn't just include sports psychology into this. You also included nutrition and it's about training the, into- the total athlete. So when we talk about beyond sets and reps, we're talking about what it takes to train the total athlete. And uh, you covered a lot of that for us today. And uh, we're grateful to have you with us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Um, as we wrap up, can you tell us uh, how people can find you on social media or if they want to get in touch with you, if they just want to ask you, hey, what are some readings? Uh, I know that you're working on a website and I put that out there yeah. for you uh, for people to be able. And maybe there's someone out there that that hears this and you want to volunteer to uh, help Dr. Brian Mann out with the website. You know, you're feel free to reach out to him. So, yeah, how can they, how can people reach you? Well, email uh, bman at Miami dot edu. Uh, if they catch me. You know, they, they, I'm funny with email. If I am sitting at my computer doing emails anyways, you will get an instantaneous response. I'm not at the number of emails I was getting at Missouri because not everybody knows I'm here at Miami. You know, instead of, you know, cracking at 300 a day, I might get about 100. Uh, if I don't get back to you in two or three days, just email me again because I might got a little overzealous with the delete button. Or now, unfortunately, I've noticed that my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old uh, – she loves playing with my phone, and some, th- some things are never the same after she does it. So there's always the chance that that happens. Uh, social media, uh, J. Brian Mann on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm getting better at understanding the Instagram uh, messaging part thing. Uh, I probably ought to have Mac show me how to do that at some point. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, you can definitely get me there. That's honestly the easiest place to get me because while I'm, I'm really busy – I'm not that popular and cool, so uh, you can always agree to disagree, B. Yeah, well, the uh, you can always get at me with uh, you know Twitter or something like that because while I might get a couple hundred emails, I'll have one tweet in a week. So you know that that's that's pretty easy to find me. Well, anything else uh, for our listeners out there? You have any uh, one last bit of advice or uh, tell them a book that you're reading? Man, yeah, the book that I'm reading right now is uh, Good Night Rebel Girls. Uh, that's uh, what I read my girl every night. But, man, you know, my biggest thing is, guys, make sure that you live your life outside of just strength and conditioning, too. You know, because uh, if you die today, your job is posted tomorrow. And they're going to have somebody to fill your shoes by two weeks from now. So remember that. You know, go out, spend time with your family. Spend time with the people that matter. Let's try and, and get away from the uh, putting our pride on the grind of the 80 hours a week because all that gets you is an early death. You know, let, let's uh, try and find some ways to do quality of life, guys. We, we've, 
And it's not, uh, there was a, something I read today that somebody won, their athletes won a state championship or something like that. And they said, how did you feel about the team? It's like, I'll let you know in 20 years about what kind of people these grow up into. So remember guys, it's not just about, it's not squat weight, clean weight, 40 times. That's fun and all, but it's what sort of impact can you go make? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Dr. Brian Mann. Thanks, B. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.